DJ, PK, and Jay Drew joining us. BYU football writer for the Deseret News. Jay, good morning. Good morning, everybody. Good to be on today. Thanks for coming on. We wanted to talk to you about the story you wrote about uh, a decade of independence at BYU and the impact on the program. And as soon as I teased that this morning, uh, PK said, well, it's been nine years, but we'll just roll with it. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was mostly it was supposed to be about uh, – BYU football independent or BYU in the last decade how they did because obviously 2010 they weren't independent but that was part of the decade so thanks PK for catching that <laughs> uh, but nine out of ten years you kind of got to go with it I'm, I'm okay with it you know and I and I read uh, yours and Dick and Jeff's piece pieces <clears throat> and, and my thought is you know I see where you guys are going with all that stuff and for me my individual thought is. Even though it's been nine years, it's still not a long enough sample size because the first couple years, you had Tom had to throw together schedules, speaking of Tom Homo, and so they weren't very good. And then he started getting some bigger name teams, but a lot of those games he had to start with, we'll play at your place first. So we're getting return visits now. Right, so the schedule you like like this year the home schedule was pretty good, and then one of the knocks was well you lose a couple games and November becomes useless and meaningless and all that. Well, you look at November's schedule next year, and they've got Boise State, San Diego State, Stanford, and I think what one of those is it North Alabama, South Alabama, uh, North Alabama, yeah. yeah. So three out of the four games are against brand name programs for sure certainly no worse than what they played when they were in the WAC and Mountain West so my thought is that there's two divisions of independence before when they first got it and then now and so at least schedule wise to me, in my mind, this is very attractive. Now, I realize it's not exclusively based on schedule, but at least scheduling-wise, if this is the way it's going to be for the next whatever period of independence, that's pretty good. Yeah, I, I, I think if the next whatever, like you said, five years continues like the schedule like it was in even this last year in November, you know, they did have San Diego State to kind of anchor it uh, at the end it was better than say a new mexico state or yeah. or a uh, a umass or, or 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 something like that uh the year they had the bad year they finished at hawaii which uh playing at hawaii is not a cupcake yeah. as they learned in a bowl game so um yeah uh, this coming year they're literally there's one gimme really on the schedule uh and that's uh, like you said north alabama every other game is uh, they could they could lose easily, and so, um, yeah, I think you got to tip your hat to to Tom Homo, who has when he when they went independence, he said it was going to be rough the first few years, and and he was right. But uh, I think he's pretty much delivered on what he said uh, that that they would get some of these teams to come into Lavelle Edwards Stadium and and have a pretty good schedule. It seems like if you go through the decades, there was a time when BYU got all of the best 
LDS talent, and they got all of the best in-state talent. And sometimes those two overlap. A lot of times they did, but a lot of times they didn't also. But they did very well in both of those. And then you go each decade, and you see it kind of chipped away. And now here, the last few years, we're looking where, well, the top 10 kids in the state, they're getting one or two of them. How much of that do you think is because BYU and independent? And how much do you think that's technology changing, it's easy for kids to go away from home, the youths go into the Pac-12, so the youths are getting better kids, and the rest of the Pac-12 is coming in recruiting too, and BYU doesn't control any of that. Yeah, you know, all of the above. In my piece that you guys referenced, I said that I kind of build it on the whole Utah going to the Pac-12. That, in my mind, was the biggest detriment or the biggest obstacle to BYU's progression. And and people would say, well, why? And it's a, it, it, recruiting, absolutely. You, uh, if BYU and Utah go head to head for a recruit in the last five six years that I've been paying really close attention to it, um, Utah generally gets that player. They've even gone into Utah County and got um, you know Britton Covey and who's um, uh, the quarterback slash linebacker from American Ch- Fork. Chase uh, Hansen. Yeah, Chase Hansen. And just you can go just on and on. And, and uh, Isaac Oziata, uh And just you can just be uh, Utah's just winning those battles or out of state teams are winning those battles. Just recently, uh, Virginia got a kid, a four star kid from Colorado whose father played at BYU, whose brother is currently at BYU. And he goes to Virginia, and uh, obviously an LDS kid who's going to go on a mission first. But if BYU wants to compete with the Power 5 teams on their schedule, they've got to somehow reverse that trend and get these these LDS kids, uh, at least a good portion of them, going back to BYU. And right now that's not happening. So I agree completely on that, and I want to delve in beyond Utah because that's just not going to change. They're always going to be there. The conference, speaking of the Pac-12, is always going to come into Utah. We know that. David Shaw looked me in the eye at Pac-12 Media Day and told me, he says, you tell those people that I'm coming to Utah and I'm coming to Utah often. And I took I took a step back. It made me nervous the way he said it. I mean, he was dead serious. But you look at Bronco, uh, who did a masterful job at BYU when they were in the Mountain West his second year, and you referenced it. You know, he starts it off with 11 and 2, and he goes over a four year period from 06 to 09. He goes, what, 49 or 43 and 8 or 9 or something, you know, just really, really big-time football, and they won three out of the four bowl games they played in against Pac-12 competition, so things were great. Well, then, once they get into the heart of the independence, you know, 8-5 and five was the norm. He uh, finished it up with a 9-4, and four. and so we see Kalani, uh, you know, with a 9-4 and four and an 8, uh, you know, that, that's the 8-5 and five basically is the top watermark. So, since it's not going to change that they're going to get out on a conference, or uh, Utah's going to get out of the Pac-12, what can BYU do? Because I do think it boils down to recruiting to get back some of these kids because I think that's the biggest difference. And it, is it just simply that it is about being in a conference and kids want to play for a conference title? Or what is it? You know, I've thought about that a lot. And I think somehow, some way, they've got to put together a really special season. I think if they go, they put together a ten and two, eleven and one, 
um, and you know, and win some of these games and don't lose to the teams that they should beat, which was a problem this past year. Uh, I don't know of any other way to really kind of jump back into the whole conversation. Um, obviously, Utah is the more popular team in the state right now, um, and I put that in the article. I think that's probably been the case for the past 10 years. And somehow BYU has got to get that ground back. I, I don't know if it's possible, to be totally honest with you, but the the best way to do that, I think, is, is simply to win. Um, if that's possible, I don't know, based on the, I mean, this, this last recruiting class that came in, they're still again in the 70s. Um, that was signed in December. Of course, more will sign in February. But um, somehow, some way, they've got to get um, back in the you know more wins. One of the things Tom Homo said in the uh, Q and A that we ran with him, we submitted some questions to him via email, and he he answered them. Um, one of the things he said is we've got to get uh, difference makers. We got to get these some of these guys that can just absolutely take over a game, uh, you know, big playmakers and game breakers and kind of like a Taysom Hill, to be honest with you, a, a generational type player um, that can kind of turn the tide. And, and they haven't really been able to do that in the last few recruiting classes. So I agree they have to do that, but it's not just a question of beating out the Utes and their popularity. Washington took a really good player out of uh, Utah County. Washington State's taken a couple of good in-state players, including a quarterback out of Lehigh. Uh, Oregon seems to decide who they want every year and come in and grab a guy. And even nationally, LSU comes in and takes a kid out of East High School. So we can all say BYU should do better, but it does seem like a new era. More teams are recruiting nationally. PK can go chapter and verse and all the kids leave in Arizona. And I'm not seeing uh, USC, Texas, and Florida State dominating their backyards. It seems like a different era, and we can talk about how it was 20 years ago, but it's just not like that for anybody. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, the day and age of the recruiting services, social media, um, easier travel, uh, all of that, uh, you know, lends itself to, to these kids having a lot of uh, options. And, uh, and as you said before, with the Stanford coach, Utah is not a secret by any stretch anymore. Almost every coach, even Nick Saban has had Utah on his radar. So uh, Michigan State has been in here getting kids and, you know, all over the country. So, obviously, Virginia just got one. He's not from Utah. He's from Colorado, but he's a quasi-Utah kid, uh, so to speak. So, yeah, I I honestly don't know the answer uh, other than if BYU could possibly get into a P5, and um, that's probably the next big step that they would have to take, and we could probably debate that forever, too, if, if that'll ever happen. I'm kind of skeptical based on kind of the the social or the the political climate of the United States right now um, and BYU kind of being an outlier as, that, as far as that's concerned. So, um, yeah, I think it's uh, definitely Tom Homo has his work cut out for him and, and really Kalani Sataki and all the BYU administration to, to see if they can get over the hump. But uh, it's, it's going to be very, very difficult. How much do you you think the breakthrough and the progress of allowing caffeinated drinks on campus will make a difference? (laughs) Oh, huge. You cannot understate that. (laughs) 
I think that's on the uh, every recruit I've talked to has mentioned it. <laughs> Don't you think? On a serious note, more importantly, that other coaches can't negative recruit with that. It's a weird place. You can't even drink a Coke. You can't drink a Pepsi. You've got to go. You know, caffeine free. It's at least it's one thing they can't say that makes people seem you know really out there. Yeah, one in about what fifty. <laughs> so, one down, yeah, forty nine. I mean, I'm sure they'll find other things. Facial facial hair and the length of your shorts next. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, obviously, uh, one thing I've been hearing lately is that some coaches are bringing up uh, BYU's academic uh, kind of their stringency academic wise, and telling kids that that uh, you better be. Uh, very, very good, you know, in the classroom if, you, if you're going to survive at BYU. I've heard that uh, has kind of come up lately as, as uh, maybe a negative recruiting tactic to kind of scare kids away from BYU. Maybe that's been going on for a while. I don't know PK might know more than me, but uh, that's, uh, lately that's kind of one of the things I've heard. Well, I think generally it's a disadvantage, but you have to zero in and get these kids that you've been able to get, and that's where it's been hurting them, as DJ referenced earlier, that there's a number of kids that they used to be getting, be able to get, that they can't get, and if you're some of these other schools, if you don't get player X, well, then you just go find player Y, and he ends up being good. Like, for instance, in, in the advantage for BYU, Ben Olsen comes home from a mission, leaves, well, then they go get Max Hall, and Max Hall ends up being the winningest quarterback back in BYU history, so who cares that Ben Olsen didn't go to uh, stay at BYU? You got Max Hall, and Ben had his injury issues, but even if Ben had stayed healthy, you still had a really good quarterback. So you got to find ways to replace those guys in, in Provo. It's much harder now than it used to. It's always been difficult, but it's even more difficult now than it used to be uh, as far as that goes. I wanted to ask you about you know, so much speculation around Kalani Sataki. And we've listed all the things that are working against, no matter who the coach is, you fill in the blank, uh, coach, and it would be more difficult. I think that's one of the reasons Bronco left. And, you know, I don't discount the pay raise, but one of the reasons he was outspoken about the situation that they were in and they needed to get out of it. And so in my mind, you know, you can change coaches all you want, but until these other things around the program are made more conducive to recruiting, then it's still going to be an issue no matter who the coach is. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very difficult job. To coach football at BYU is, uh, is I don't know if it's the hardest job in America, but it's, it's, it's got to be in the top ten as far as just level of difficulty because of all that we've mentioned. And then you've got a fan base that expects wins. And uh, if I were to say one thing to the BYU fan base, and they might not want to hear this, it's that I think they've got to lower their expectations a little bit. Um, maybe not even a little bit, maybe a lot. I just think they've got to realize that some of this stuff is undoable and, and they're not going to have a, you know, a Utah-like season like Utah just had every year. And that maybe if they can put together a special season, one in every five years, that should be palatable. That should be uh, acceptable because of uh, all these the situation that they're in. So that, I, I would just say that, lower your expectations, and I think you'll be a little bit happier. That sounds like something PK would say. Yeah, I know my wife And didn't. I hope you guys don't turn that into a drop. <laughs> 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 so I see you've been on the show before, and you're aware of how it works. 
And I have neighbors that are asking me, did you really say that? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I think that... Um, I think, well, to go back to the, your point about lowering expectations, I think BYU fan driving the car right now is like, they were good enough to go back east and beat an eight-win Tennessee team, and they beat an eight-win USC team. Okay, granted, they were both in overtimes. They had the lead against Toledo and South Florida and Hawaii. We'll give them the San Diego State loss, but they need to close out these leads on the road in the fourth quarter. They were good enough to do that. If they'd just done that, sure, somebody would complain about 10-3 and three and why they lost to San Diego State, but they'd be a 10-win team, and there'd be a different vibe. Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of what I focused on in my season wrap uh, a few days after Christmas is, is they just there was a failure to finish. They just, for some reason, this team couldn't finish. It, I don't have the numbers, but it seems like that was kind of a Bronco Mendenhall specialty. His teams won a lot of close games. And uh, uh, even the year, Kalani's second year, where they went 8-4 and four, or 9-4, and four, they lost the four games by a combined eight points. So there's, there's a trend developing where they just don't seem to pull out close games like they used to uh, under Bronco. I don't know why that is, um, but... but that failure to finish, you're right. If you're right, David, if they had beaten uh, a couple of those or won a couple of those games, especially the Hawaii game at the end, I think there'd be a little bit different vibe. I think there'd be more optimism um, than uh, going into year five with Kalani and he has the new con- the contract extension and all that. But it's kind of amazing what one loss, two losses can kind of do to a season if they're losses to teams that you think you should have beaten. Yeah, and I don't want to give a pass to the coaches either, just saying, well, we can't get anybody better, so you're good enough, so you have job security, because that Hawaii loss was completely and totally inexcusable, and that third and two call was awful, and they need to be held accountable for that, and that goes on the coaches. That was just brutal, That what they did there. They needed two yards, they had two downs to get it, and the game's over. And I'm still irritated about it. Yeah, they had been running Tyler Algier. Right. Is, you know, their offensive line was was taking over the game. They had a running back that was hot. Yeah, you can point to a lot of things. That was, that was just a, a crazy, uh, strange sequence there, and, and you just kind of wonder what they were thinking. I wonder if anyone, as you talk to people, um, what the strong opinions are on this, because they travel a lot more than most college football teams. I mean, SEC teams don't even want to leave the South. And these guys are flying back east three times. They're flying out to Hawaii once. And those are largely the games that they botched at the end, the cumulative effect of all the travels and independence. Now, I guess this independent schedule, this coming season in 2020, they'll go to the Central Time Zone twice, and they won't go to the East, and they aren't scheduled for Hawaii. So maybe that'll impact. How big a problem is that? I think there's something to that. I think... uh I think it's a depth factor as well, which ties into that. They, they get tired. They they have to use their main line guys, you know, in for the entire games. Uh, they had very few blowouts. I, I know they had the UMass blowout, but um, that's a, a big part of it. Um, you know, I, I go back to the depth, and then I don't know why. Maybe it's because I cover BYU, and I that's the only team I've covered the last you know, 11, 12 years, but they just seem to get more injuries, especially injuries to key guys than, than other teams. And that, I might just be, you know, not, not out there enough and not following other teams enough, but man, it seems like 
they sure have a lot of really devastating injuries to their mainline guys. Every year it seems like they have a couple that, that really, really hurt them. So you're down on them joining a conference? You know, I don't know. With just with the with the BYU honor code and what happened last last go round when the Big Twelve was looking and Adam and some schools like Iowa State and Kansas State spoke out, or at least their government student government leaders and uh, pointed out, uh, you know, some of the political things that go on at BYU with the honor code and that. But I don't know that that uh, in this day and age of, I don't know, some of the kids, they call it the woke culture or whatever. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know that it's just that it'll happen. Um, uh, maybe the Big 12 is obviously different than the Pac-12. I, I don't think BYU will ever, ever get in the Pac-12. I, I don't, and I think you guys probably agree with me with that, but uh, the, the Big 12 and, is probably their best bet, and you know, who knows, but that's just kind of my feeling. You know, I hope I'm wrong. I'd love to see him get into a Power 5 conference, but but I think it's uh, I think it's a long shot. I know the Iowa State students were having their say. I just think at the end of the day, money talks, and if Oklahoma and Texas want it to happen, then it happens. And Oklahoma is every bit as red a state as Utah. And if Oklahoma and Texas want it, somehow, I think whatever it is, you could run 100 issues out there for the Big 12. If those two want it, I bet it happens. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think those two schools are are the 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 kingpins or whatever you want to call it, and, and probably making the making the decisions. How was the recruiting then this year? You know, it was uh, pretty lackluster. I guess you would say. I think they're in the 70s. Recruiting is different the last two years now with the kind of the split signing periods. You know, we had the one in December for three days, and now uh, the first Wednesday in February. Another one comes. Um, I think it was big that BYU got a receiver named Cody Epps on the last day. Um, put up great numbers uh, at a really good high school in Southern California, or I think it's Southern California, the uh, modern day. Yeah. I, I'm not exactly yes. sure where it's at. That you would Southern, probably know. That's in Southern um, California. But uh, yeah, they they uh, I think that helped them a lot. But um, there's a couple kids that have committed to them that didn't sign in December. Uh, Bodie Schoonover from American Fork is one. Uh, that if they could really, if they could land in February, I think uh, I think you could call it a, a pretty good class. They got the Romney brother, the younger Romney brother that's out of Arizona that's still undecided. Um, you know, he's obviously an LDS kid. That they, if they got him, I, I so I think the jury's out a little bit. Um, but I think uh, if they could get these next a couple kids that had committed that are kind of wavering and didn't sign in December, I think I think you could call it a, a pretty good class. How are they going to do with transfers? Because there's been a lot of talk about the weighting of recruiting classes has got to reflect transfers. I know sitting there in the Alamo Bowl blowout with nothing else to do in the fourth quarter and having the two deep or the entire roster in front of me, I counted it up. The Utes have 12 transfers, and I think that's becoming common. Obviously, BYU landed two running backs this past year. How are they doing there? Yeah, uh, you know, I haven't heard much from Kalani about it, but Jeff Grimes, uh, before the bowl game, I talked to him, and he, he said, yeah, definitely, we, we'd like to do what we did last year. We'd like to get one running back, maybe two, out of the transfer portal, uh, especially ones, the fifth-year transfers that are uh, immediately eligible. Uh, we'd like to get probably a receiver. Uh, I'm, I'm banging that drum a lot. I, I 
they need a receiver. They need a, a playmaker type receiver like the year they got Jordan last week. Um, they lose Oliva Hifo and, and, um, Talon Shumway and Micah Simon, three guys that, you know, basically got better and better and were pretty good as seniors. So they lose those three. They got Gunnar Romney coming back and he kind of has been hit and miss, hasn't really re- kind of lived up to the billing maybe that he had out of high school. Um, but other than that, they don't really have much um, at receiver. So I think that's the position where they really need to find a a guy that can come in and make a difference right away. He's Jay Drew. He covers BYU football for the Deseret News. Jay, thanks for a few minutes this morning. Okay, guys. Thanks for having me on again. Jay Drew. Check him out at the D News. All right, DJ and PK, we are brought to you in part by Homie. Buying or selling a home? Homie will give you up to $5,000 back to help you with closing costs and fees. Remember, it's simple to get started with Homie. See more at Homie.com. Big Show. Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Are you ready? You guys ready? Take a poll of Jazz fans. Which would you rather have in that critical possession? Donovan Mitchell take a contested shot or have Royce O'Neal take an open shot? If the Jazz score on that possession, boom, game over. In the case of last night's game, give me Royce from the corner. Every time. Every time. He's shooting over 40% for three. Donovan's your closer. He is. And this was a better high percentage shot and Donovan saw it. But if he had taken that shot, it wouldn't have necessarily meant he was being a selfish player. Sometimes a star has to be a star. Turn this up. Catch the Big Show. Presented by Mountain America Credit Union. Afternoons from 3 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. CJ drives and kicks. Mello has it. Gets in the paint. Pull up jumper on the way. Got it! With 3.3 seconds left and the Blazers have the lead. 101-99. The initial diagnosis is a bruised tailbone. He's going to go through additional testing tonight and uh, we'll have an update for you tomorrow. That's all I got. All right, there's the update on the Lakers' Anthony Davis after he fell hard on his tailbone lower back and limped off the floor very, very slowly. Lakers blew out the Knicks by 30. Knicks are here to play the Jazz tonight, going back-to-back. It's time to get you up to speed on everything you've missed in the show, and it is brought to you by Larry H. Miller, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, and Sandy. Find your deals online at LHMDeals.com. PK, they're scheduled wins and scheduled losses, and boy, if you don't win tonight, the NBA sets you up as good as they could. It's a bad team playing in L.A. last night. Coming here on a back-to-back, you're at home and you're rested. Advantage Jazz. Yeah, and you're rolling, too. You're playing good ball. I would be shocked. The first game back seems like a road game. That only applies when you're playing crappy and playing a really good team. And that's the excuse for why you got your drawers blown off or whatever the expression is against the Lakers. Well, that excuse, that's just garbage tonight. You had the night off. They're going back-to-back, coming off a West Coast game and getting in at some ridiculous hour. And you suck. Uh, before that, you heard the uh, the game winner, Carmelo Anthony, with a, uh, a late bucket as the Trailblazers beat the Raptors. It's a good win for Portland. Yeah, but the Raptors are watered down. they got so yeah. many injuries. They've been uh, taking some L's here lately. But for Portland, gets them within six games of 500. Still a chance they could get to the eight seed if they get going. Also, we talked about Utah State. That was a decent start to the game. Looked like they might have an 8- or 10-point lead at the half. Instead, Air Force made a run in the last two minutes. 
and then Air Force dominated the last 20. PK, that was a lethargic Aggie team, not good on the backboards, out-rebounded by 20. That was a really dispiriting second half. They got... They got beat soundly. And it started in the last couple of minutes of the first half, yep. yeah, because it looked like they could have a, at least a double-digit, maybe even 15-point lead. And then, boom, they went on a big run. The Falcons did. And the second half, yeah, it was wildly disappointing, man. This is a team that was picked and has high expectations. And you lose to San Diego State at home. All right, they're a really good ball club, it appears. But but you sandwich it with at UNLV before the Aztec game, and now and you got at smoked Air by Force. them. Those are two teams with losing records, yeah. and you're getting drilled. That's yep. completely and totally unacceptable. And now they are plummeting in all the computer power rankings. Oh, and getting for sure. they getting the to NCAA do. tournament is now a long shot. They're like a couple of games away, basically, from having to win the tournament. Yeah, which is what they did last year. But it appears the Aztecs are better than they were last year. Remains to be seen, and we're just getting started in the league play. So, right now, I was thoroughly disappointed watching that game. First things first, they have to go home and beat Nevada Saturday. Scotty G did not look happy there on ESPN2. Were you looking at him? What? Yeah, because the coach walked right in front of him. They had a shot of the coach, and there was Scotty. What did you expect him to be? Smiling? Laughing? Yucking it up? Eh, Just calling the game. He was telling (laughs) his body language he was down. I texted him. We texted back and forth at the end of it. Jonathan Smith gets a six-year contract at Oregon State. That's a reward from taking them from two wins to five wins. And Matt Rule, who has taken over one and two win teams and turned in 10 and 11 win seasons at Temple and Baylor, he gets seven years and $60 million to go to Carolina and coach the Well, Panthers. they're hoping he's golden. You know why? Because that would make him the golden rule. No question. Yeah. They paid $6 million to Baylor to free him up. So that's $66 million all told. 60 for him and $6 million for the school. A lot of cash. And seven years, that is a long contract for an NFL coach. Better get it right. It is long, very long, yeah. I think those guys get three years, and the really proven guys might get five. And he got seven. Giants hired a coach as well, Joe Judge, 37 years old. Don't know anything about him. Coming off the Patriots staff. Been their wide receiver and special teams coach. Maybe he'll be the next big thing. We wish J.J. well. Yeah. Oh, uh, we've talked uh, at length this morning about uh, college basketball with Roxy Bernstein, who uh, is going to call the BYU St. Mary's game. But what will not be on this broadcast, he did talk about working with Bill. Bill's absolutely prepared and absolutely gives him no clue on what tangent he might go at any moment. Well, Bill Walton, yeah, he has to have done research because he'll tell you about the trainer. Yeah, and he knows just about when he comes in here, the minutia of Utah and BYU. I come away thinking, man, he—you just don't know that unless no. you live here. You had to have researched yeah. it and wrote he, it down and committed it to memory. Talked to people and read stuff, and yeah. and he also turns into the uh, Department of Tourism for whatever area he's broadcasting from. I can see that more so because he likes to get out, mm-hmm. and so that is more natural from a man who's in his sixties. But the background on people that he brings up, and he just knows so much about everything, about their, their background. I mean, I, I can still remember something I did not know, is that his brother and Tom Homold's brother were teammates, if not roommates, when they both played football at UC Los Angeles. And I had no idea until Bill said that. And I think Tom's brother, Steve, I, I think he played there and then he had an injury and had to quit or something. 
Roxy's opinion on the uh, on the game and on St. Mary's. A little uh, horrified you asked him about uh, St. Mary's and some of the losses. UOP's got a good record. They haven't well, really played Winthrop. anybody. Winthrop, right after they beat Wisconsin, then they lost yeah. to Winthrop. So they're 1-1 one one after two games. Well, we all thought you might be 1-1. One one Those are the two that jumped out at me. Yeah. How do you beat Wisconsin and lose to Winthrop? Uh, he talked about Jordan Ford, the, the point guard. Are they If the Cougars can control him in pretty good shape... Um, He's because score. St. Mary's lost, uh, lost Matthias Toss to a dynamic young, not young, but little player. Yeah, he's very slight, and he will keep that dribble alive and look for uh, and look for a way to get a shot off. Yeah, I think he's the same height as Donovan Mitchell, but Mitchell seems like he's got about fifty pounds on him. Yeah, but he can shoot the three. You know, he used to do that. So who was it? That, that Morris Blackburn thing was the mini me. That's what. This Ford guy looks like relative to Steph Curry. The mini-me. He sort of looks like him, too. Just a few miles from the old arena in Oakland. And he's skinny like him, but he's way smaller than Steph. And Steph is already viewed as a smaller guy. NBA from the NBA perspective. All right, well, that game's coming up Thursday night. We had Roxy Bernstein on talking BYU basketball. We had Jay Drew on talking BYU football. A decade, uh, the last decade, dominated by nine years of independence, and the biggest single thing that's changed, recruiting. It's not a secret. The whole world comes in here and recruits, and BYU used to uh, get all of the best players out of Utah. Now, there are more good players in Utah, so that offsets it a little bit, but it still hurt. Recruiting is always the most important thing, but you have to look beyond the recruiting. Why has recruiting changed? And Utah to the Pac-12, the whole the Pac-12 conference affiliation in and out for both right. is significant. And the and te- increased the visibility of the honor code and academic restrictions, all those things. Technology's made it easier for kids to go away too. You can still FaceTime, stay connected. All the games are on TV. It's a whole different deal. I do think they have to lower their expectations. If you're expecting a Bronco won double-digit games four years in a row, two of which they won the Mountain West. You know, you're obviously not going to win a conference, but to expect four years of 10 wins or 11 wins, the only way you're going to get that is a substantial decrease in the strength of schedule. I think the other thing is uh, try to remember the past correctly. Yes, he had that 43-9 and run, but it's not like BYU. That's a high watermark. It's not like BYU is doing that all the time. If you look at win percentage by conference in the WAC era, they won 66%. In the Mountain West, 64 and Independence, they've won 60. Yeah, but Bronco did that all the time in the Mountain West. Was he in the Mountain West five years or six? six? He was in six. So it was first and last. Okay. The first year, six and six, which was uh, might have been his best job. Right, turning things around yeah. after three losing seasons. Right, and then the last year, they had the quarterback shuffling and the Jake Heaps. They put all their eggs in that basket, and that didn't pan out. But other than that, the four years in the middle there, they were awesome. They is were it, really good. Is it as simple as excellent quarterback play? Uh, that goes a long way to it toward it but there's so many other things that changed and maybe the grad transfer rule I I once had a coach tell me as far as BYU goes the JC kid is the way to go because he doesn't have to put up with the BYU lifestyle and that may be a wrong way to phrase it but he doesn't adhere have to adhere to it that long and with the grad transfers that's even less 
Because a football player is coming in could be here a year and a half. Whereas uh, even less if it's a senior with a grad transfer, right? Yeah, yeah. could uh, literally be a semester. And but I I can also tell you there was a player who transferred out of another school wanted to go to BYU. Mother wanted him to go. Was all set to go. He didn't get admitted. Had the degree in hand. Went to another school and had a phenomenal season. And he wanted to go. And they were hot that the kid couldn't get in. And it seems silly to me. They get, I know there's always a little bit of a battle, academic versus athletic. athletic. But, man, athletic means so much, particularly football, that they need to just... One kid out of, uh, depending on the school, 10, 20, 30,000 kids. There needs to be some right. different rules And there. BYU's case is obviously on the high end of it. And you got a degree, no less. Right. Not taking a chance on a high school kid with bad test scores. No. Somebody who, for four years, got it done. Already did the work. All right, DJ and PK, it's a Win Tickets Wednesday. We promised you jazz tickets in this segment, so let's do it. Caller number 12, the jazz getting ready to face the Sacramento Kings. And if you want to go to that game, two tickets, Saturday, January 18th, the jazz and the kings. This is your chance to win tickets. Win. It's a Win Ticket Wednesday. 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 Caller number 12 right now at 855-340-ZONE. And you'll win tickets right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Purchase a Ford Fan Zone all-you-can-eat ticket to an upcoming game and receive unlimited hot dogs, nachos, popcorn, ice cream, and soda. Visit the Ford Fan Zone on Level 6 for free Ford swag, jazz tickets, movie passes, and much, much more. When we come back, your feedback next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. It says in the scriptures that everything that's bound in heaven is bound on earth. So we will have animals when we pass on, and all the animals that we had here will be the ones that have to help take care of them. So your dog will still be there. Hey, PK, driving the kids to school this morning, and somebody drops a Santa Claus bomb. So now not only is your dog dead, but Santa Claus is also dead also. Thank you. No, that's not true. I just said, did your mom tell you there was no Santa Claus. I never said there was no Santa Claus. <clears throat> so that's not true at all. My that's mom never told me that. Hence, it was a question. Yeah. And I can tell you she never said that. I never said that there was none. Right. You were playing Jeopardy over there. All answers are in the form of a so, question. So, you are wrong, buddy boy. Assumptions. <laughs> so, we got uh, people can get upset about anything. It turns out, after talking to Roxy Bernstein for a full segment about BYU basketball, uh, talking to Jay Drew about BYU football was wrong. We were supposed to talk to him about basketball, too. He doesn't cover basketball. Andrew. the primary guy. That's Jeff Call's beat now. Yes. Andrew says, how do we get DJ and PK to talk about BYU sports instead of the typical talk about honor code, conference affiliation, scheduling, blah, 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 blah. You can't. Mark Pope has the basketball team rolling, and you can't even mention them. I hate BYU sports, so I refuse to talk about them. Haven't I made that abundantly clear? No, you have not. Well, now I need to. We had two segments with BYU Don't people Don't try today, to justify. And no Utes and Aggies, <laughs> and BYU fans think we you suck. You can't take criticism. You always have to justify. That is why <laughs> Let it go. people refer to BYU fans as whiners. <laughs> 
So you're right and they're wrong. I but am, as a matter of fact. The problem is you're never going to change your mind, so why bother? Because uh, it was fun to say it and make them mad again. I know, for the fourth trillionth time. Yeah, but it keeps working. But yet it doesn't. They Dave! Think they think. Dave tweeted on the topic of uh, the end-of-game foul. The NBA has come out and said, yeah, Rudy Gobert uh, committed a foul at the end of the Pelicans game. Dave says there's calls that go against both teams every game. Nothing new. Any fan of any team gripes when a call goes against their team. It's not just a Utah thing. It's not. I agree. It's not in any. It's an actually it's an everybody fill-in-the-blank thing. Chris says it was the correct call, and I think it kind of goes to show the level of respect the refs have for the defensive player of the year. He clearly got the benefit of the doubt on that call just as much as other superstars get on the offense. Except there was an incorrect call. It wasn't a correct call. <laughs> That's wrong. Is the correct call in your mind because it went for your team. If the situation had been absolutely reverse, you would be furious. And that's okay. Mason says the refs the entire were awful the entire game, so if someone wants to say that cost them the game, well, then the refs cost us for even making that thing close. Of course they did, the refs. There it is. All right, Jazz and Knicks tonight. You have a final word, anything you'd like to add on that? My childhood team, which I never had as a childhood, and they suck. <laughs> they do. And they just got beat by 30. And they flew in late from L.A., so the Jazz ought to win it. They could have been weeks they could off. Be, uh, still, they're still an awful I mean, team. Who, I couldn't even name you the coach today. I know he's interim because I know they fired Fisdale, but I, hadn't, I couldn't Fisdale name you. Fisdale was on ESPN this morning. Yeah. They were yucking he, it up in he there. He said he doesn't hold them. He has no grudges. You were going to get fired. You're better off being out of there. But I have no idea who they promoted. DJ and PK, we'll see you tomorrow. Tony and Austin are coming up next.